This is episode 76 with Savannah Turk of The Purple Pillow. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. Hey everyone, welcome back. Kirsten Ross. I'm so excited because although I have released one episode of 2017 already, this is the first interview that I'm actually recording in 2017. So I'm so stoked that um, this is actually a company that I've been uh, trying to get on the show for at least four months because as soon as I saw their campaign, I fell madly in love with it. Um, It's the Purple brand on purple.com. I have the director of communications, Savannah Turk, on the line with us today. And if you don't know um, what the Purple Pillow or the Purple Mattress is, the Purple Pillow, I think, is my favorite Kickstarter campaign ever. Their marketing is insanely creative and will make you laugh. And it's just really, really well executed. Um, To give you a bit of a backstory, they, back in 2015, launched the Purple Mattress on Kickstarter, raised about 170,000, a few hundred backers, definitely a successful campaign. And then they came back into everyone's surprise, they uh, released the Purple Pillow that raised $2.6 million to date um, with over 17,000 backers. And so, of course, this concept for, um, I kind of look at them as, as having reinvented how people look at mattresses and beds, and they've actually made it really sexy. And I'm just so excited to have Savannah on the show just to just dissect the campaigns a little bit to see what, like, how the heck they went from 170,000 to 2.6 million in with only a year difference between these campaigns. So Savannah, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'd love to, um, before we get into the campaign and stuff like that, what is purple? And is that, is that what you guys call your brand on purple, purple? What is it? Yes. Purple. Purple is the brand, Purple is the company, and we create comfort products. We have a super comfortable, super durable, pressure-absorbing material that we put on a mattress, cushions, and on our pillow, and it is the most comfortable products you've ever sat on. And we're really, like you said, trying to reimagine these products that we live on to make our lives healthier. And, you know, that results in us being happier and more productive every day. Yeah. And considering you spend eight hours on your back, on, in your bed, it's, it, that's a really important product that I find that not a lot of people um, knew about before, like, I don't know, the science behind sleep, right? It is really how you guys created this epic brand. Absolutely. There's been a huge revolution in sleep in the last couple of years. It's something we spend a third of our lives doing, and we never really put a lot of time and energy into our sleep. And so now we have this revolution in sleep science where we're realizing how important that time is and you know, the benefits of really making sure that you're getting the best sleep you possibly can. And our technology came from trying to create the best products for sleep. Yeah. Um, why purple? Uh, there are a couple of reasons. First, you know, we were playing with a lot of different ideas. The material that we use on all of our products 
uh, we can, you know, make it any color. Historically, it's kind of a blue color. And we wanted something that really felt right. You know, blue was done already. It was cold. We didn't want something that was going to feel too hot, like a red or pink. Um, and so we were thinking of the colors to make the material. And we thought, you know what? Purple is the color of royalty. And when people use our products, we want them to feel like royalty. We want them to feel like they're getting the best products uh, they could possibly get. And so purple it was. Yeah, I love it. And um, so it's originally founded by Tony Pierce. How did you get involved with Tony um, and purple in this whole thing? Like, have you been there since day one? I have been. I'm actually in our first Kickstarter video that we did in 2015. Um, and I was lucky enough to get involved with Purple very early in the game. Uh, Tony and Terry Pierce, who are the founders of Purple, have been in the cushioning technology game for about 20 years. They've been in Alpine, um, Utah, the small mountain town, and they've been creating products that people have used all over the world for years and not known that it's their technology. We've licensed our technology out to... Johnson and Johnson, Dr. Schulz and Nike and hospital beds and wheelchair seat cushions. And they realized that they could do it better themselves than anyone else was doing it. And so they created the purple bed. And I was working for a marketing agency and they needed people to help get their Kickstarter going. They decided they wanted to launch on Kickstarter because it's such a new, different kind of product. There was a huge education element that went into it. And Kickstarter is a really great way to educate people about your product before they decide to buy. And so it felt like Kickstarter was the right thing to do. And uh, I came on to help them with that project and it went off really well. And then they slowly recruited me over and and now I'm here and I love it. And you'll never go back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So with the, um, one thing I noticed that if you go between the first Kickstarter page of the mattress and then the second of the pillow that raised a ton of money, I noticed that you guys keep a lot of the characters and the pizzazz the same. Um, I can't really... Because, you know, you in your second campaign, you use Goldilocks and you use, like, just ridiculous sure. scenarios and people in costumes. And I, I noticed that you kept that marketing uh, consistent throughout. How, mm-hmm. in your first campaign, um, when you... Because when I heard you on Art of the Kickstart, um, I... It, it's cool because you basically were like, we didn't know who our audience was, so we just stuck a bunch of stuff against the wall just to see who would resonate with it. And so... How did you identify what kind of marketing angle to go if you didn't have a good understanding of your audience like early days? Well, I think that we wanted something that would appeal to everyone. I mean, the market that we're in is is sleep. Everyone sleeps. And so we just needed to find out who's going to really connect with our product. And we have um, Tony's daughter... Uh, the founder's daughter, Andy Pierce, she is on our marketing team. She's hilarious and she's really responsible for a lot of our early brand. And it was just really fun and funny 
funny and casual and, you know, spoke to kind of the younger population that probably isn't sleeping in pain yet, but they're really, you know, health conscious and, you know, starting to grow up. And she helped create that brand. And that is the brand that resonated. It resonates with a lot of people, but particularly, you know, kind of the millennial audience um, has been huge for Purple. Yeah. And um, so when you guys were designing your, like, to go the fun target to millennials, go do something that would be a bit ridiculous and viral, um, did you do any research ahead of time or did you guys just know in your gut who your audience was? I think that our market research was the Kickstarter and was kind of putting that out there for everyone to see and seeing who resonated with it. And that was kind of the first step for us understanding like this brand works. There's something about being funny, being relatable, demonstrating our products that people like and people understand and they can, you know, not feel so intimidated about buying a mattress because there are a million brands out there or, you know, sleep has kind of been a boring industry up until recently. And so people really liked that it was making sleep fun. And uh, yeah, it, uh, how effective we were on Kickstarter really told us that we were onto something, we were doing something right. And so we just kind of decided to keep running with it. Yeah. In that first campaign, um, did you, what was your, what did your pre-campaign look like? Did you spend a lot of time building up an audience or did you, like, what did that look like for you? No, uh, we spent a lot of time on the video, the we knew that the video was going to be our big selling point on Kickstarter. It's video first, and that's something that we really understood. And so we found a local videographer named Scott Dastrip, who had a company called Slant. We have since uh, brought him onto the marketing team full-time, but he'd done several successful Kickstarters in the area and we brought on his expertise and he really helped direct a lot of, you know, the character building and a lot of the demonstration that we have in our original Kickstarter video and have continued since then. Okay. Uh, I love that. Um, with your, I'll get into the video, um, a bit later on, but with that first campaign, I'm just chronologically moving into, um, the second campaign here, but, uh, was there anything that really surprised you either good or bad with that first campaign? I think that we were excited that we hit our goal and that was the, you know, the the biggest surprise was how quickly we hit it. And um, then once we started getting the product out to people, the response that we got from people who had got their mattress through the Kickstarter and were raving about it because it really solved a sleep problem that they've had for years, sometimes decades. And so once we started to get that feedback and get that engagement through Kickstarter and then on our own social platforms and in email, we realized that we were on something. And that was probably the most surprising um, thing is the momentum never stopped after that first Kickstarter. It hasn't slowed down one day since then. 
you guys just really hit a home run with the product. Yeah, it's a good product. It's been in development for 20 years. And so they've really, Tony and Terry Pierce have really figured out the best product for comfort. Yeah. And I love that. Um, so with the, sorry, there's sirens going outside. Um, just can't seem to get away from that. But where, like after that first campaign, how quickly were you guys able to deliver? Like I'm wondering how much of your logistics and fulfillment you had figured out um, or if that took some time. Yeah, that's something that's always a challenge with Kickstarter because you don't really know what your demand is going to be. And uh, we have a machine that we built that we call the Mattress Max, and it creates the material in a large enough size that we can fit it on a California king-size bed. It's the only machine like it in the world. And the machine that we were using is a prototype, and it was built to make maybe 20 mattresses a day if all things went well. And after the Kickstarter and everything just kept blowing up, we were pushing it to make 200 mattresses a day. And so it was definitely a challenge and it still is um, because we build all of our machinery from scratch, uh, you know, keeping up with demand um, and, and making sure that the product is high quality and it's good. And uh, it, it takes a lot longer than you ever plan on it taking. <laughs> yeah, that's what we learn going into crowdfunding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You really have to be careful with those deadlines that you set because you really want to make sure that you're following through with your backers on what you're promising. But it's it's hard, especially with something like the pillow when you sell over 26,000 and you're not planning on, on that volume, you know? And you still handle all fulfillment in-house? Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Do. I'm curious. Um, are you guys funded or uh, not, fun, not through Kickstarter, but did you get external investment to help out with getting the infrastructure together to be able to, to fulfill in-house? We have not. We've bootstrapped everything. We haven't taken a dollar of funding outside of Kickstarter. Wow. That's incredible. Um, Because that's the one area where a lot of founders are like, they'll come to me with an idea because I I coach crowdfunding campaigns and they're like, okay, well, I have this idea. And then I tell them how much a launch is going to cost. They're like, Uh how do people afford this? And a lot of the times, like they, the resourceful ones are going to get government grants, um, go through like different funding options. Um, but that's crazy that you guys have done this bootstrapped. Yeah. Tony and Terry Pierce funded the whole first Kickstarter campaign. And then we just constantly reinvest everything we make back into the company, back into building more machinery, back into, you know, hiring the best talents and everything goes right back into purple. That is just amazing to hear. I didn't know that. That's so cool. Um, so with, like, I'm, you know, uh, we'll get into budgets later, maybe. But with uh, your first campaign closing, you, how much time did you have between that first campaign and the second campaign? Exactly a year. We launched our pillow campaign on the year anniversary. Wow. Okay. And any reason you did that? Um, well, it kind of ended up just being a timing thing. Um, we didn't plan on it being exactly a year, but as we were 
kind of getting ready and really ramping up and putting the final details together, it dawned on us that it's been a, exactly a year. So we decided um, to to do that. And that was a really cool thing that we got to do. And it really showed the growth of the purple brand and everything that we've been doing and working really hard on over that year's time. So it was, it was a really cool opportunity that we could do that. Yeah. It's great for consistency too. So, mm-hmm. and, um, one big advantage that you had by doing a second campaign is you had a year to build up a super targeted audience that loved what you're already doing. I would love to spend some time talking about what are some things you did to make sure you had really switched an audience for that second campaign. Yes. Uh, that was really huge in the second campaign and the success that we had with it was being able to tap into the audience that we'd been building over the last year. Um, we do a lot with Facebook and Facebook advertising. Facebook has somewhat creepy, but also a really amazing database of information that you can pull from to you know get your product and your brand in front of people who it might resonate with. And so we've dive deep into that. Uh, we do a lot of digital advertising and, and videos as well. We've continued to make videos over the last year. And so we build up, you know, an uh, audience on social media and on YouTube, and we were able to tap into that as well. I love that. And so one thing when I work with companies that, so say founder, cause we were just talking about Nathan Chan before this, um, Founder has um, an email database of 250,000 plus subscribers. And so they had the advantage going into their Kickstarter of being able to tap into that audience. Um, But one thing that they would need to do is switch it from the regular content or newsletter you might send out send out to changing the conversation around like, okay, we're launching a Kickstarter. This is what Kickstarter is. And like getting the audience really excited for a new launch. I'm curious how you change the conversation or even if you did that route for how you um, took your current customers to get them excited about a Kickstarter? Well, uh, we also had an email list. We had an audience of people and our, our customers are the most amazing people. They are, they come to our defense all the time and they're very loyal and they really love our products. They love to talk about them, do reviews used with them and we really enjoy having that customer interaction. So we've been getting a lot of requests for a pillow. And uh, when we said that that was what we were working on and that we were going to throw it on Kickstarter, uh, people were really excited about it. You know, they loved the purple mattress. They saw the effects that it had on their lives, um, helping them sleep better, be healthier and, and get rid of pain. And so they were excited. And a lot of people struggle to find the perfect pillow. I don't know one person who doesn't have a small graveyard of pillows that they've tried out and just nothing has really been the right thing. And we think that we invented the perfect pillow and people are willing to give us a shot at it. And so uh, it, it was really a somewhat easy thing to talk to people about because they were already excited about it. Yeah. It's funny about the pillow graveyard because I actually, I'm the only person I know that does this, but I sleep with my head under the pillow because I just hate the angle that 
every other pillow seems to give me like a, a, a bad neck or back pain or, or whatever. So while it's not my chiropractor yes. does not like when I tell him that, but that's just, it's, you know, finding the ultimate pillow, it really is so challenging. And I, I love how you guys address that. It is challenging because everyone has different needs. Um, but we really try to focus on the actual health benefits of uh, what you can get out of your sleep products. So your spine should be aligned. You should, you know, have support in certain areas. You should have pressure relief in other areas. And so we work with the science of sleep and combine that with our technology. And we try to make something that works for almost anyone. Yeah, which is fantastic. Um, Now, going back to your audience, you created this product because they were all screaming for it. Um, Did you spend any time building a new audience around your launch, like before your launch? Well, not necessarily, but when we were launching, we realized that there were two audiences. There were the purple fans that we had cultivated over the last year, and then there were the Kickstarter fans, people who are early adopters and who enjoy new products and trying new things and are willing to take a risk with something that they've never seen before. And we really needed that audience with the pillow because it's so different from anything else. And so we really worked on tapping into that audience of early adopters and you know crowdfunding fans and Kickstarter fans who would be willing to give us a chance, even though they may have never heard of Purple before. How did you do that? Uh, Facebook has, is a huge tool for us. And then we also partnered with Backerkit. And they were a really awesome tool that we used to reach out to a new audience. I love Backerkit. They actually sponsored the show. Um, so head over to Backerkit.com. <laughs> nice shout out. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm curious. With uh, oh, so many questions. So with Backer. No, okay. No, where am I going with this? With um, crowdfunding community, they're the most switched in people because there's something different about um, buyers who understand what Kickstarter is versus people who don't. They tend to convert a lot better and just be a different kind of person. So it's really smart to target specifically people who have, um, they are familiar with crowdfunding. So I'm curious, like, how did you use Backerkit to reach out to the crowdfunding community? Was this like, uh, to reach out to your backers after your first campaign or? It was a lot of communicating with our backers toward the end of our campaign and afterwards. And backer kit has a really awesome function where you can give people the option to, um, add additional product after the campaign has ended. And that was a cool opportunity for us to offer pillows to people who, you know, like, oh, wait, wait, I want to get another one for my husband or I want to get another one for my sister. And um, that that was a, a really cool feature that Backerkit let us use. Yeah, they're um, like product upsells once your campaign is finished, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which is cool. And um, do those numbers go, do they go back into your Kickstarter campaign or are they just external sales? They are external sales. I believe that they're processed through Kickstarter still, but you know, if you were to look on the Kickstarter page, it's 
it's not going to keep counting that. Yeah. And the rewards packages. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Cause like, um, creators have a, it's like, unless if you take your Kickstarter, um, and then go to Indiegogo's in demand, you're not going to continue selling. So, or even you can't, push specific products to specific backers. And that's like, I love backer kit for that because you can really say, Hey, it's not too late to get this thing on top of that. So. Yeah. It was a great way for us to offer more pillows. And, you know, we have like a little purple fan bag that people could add if they wanted, you know, a couple little, uh, swag purple items. And another thing that backer kit helped us to do was, um, make sure that all of the accounts got closed, all of the credit cards got processed at the end of the campaign. And that was a huge relief off of our shoulders because we didn't use anything like that in the first campaign. And that ended up being a really arduous process for us. Yeah. Cause Kickstarter won't actually charge cards until your campaign closes. So there could be a lot of fraud with the campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So guys, backerkit.com and use code <laughs> uncut at checkout to get 50% off of your setup fee. But anyways, enough about that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really cool. And um, so I'm curious, going back to the, um, you were saying how you have two audiences. One are the purple fans and then one are the crowdfunding community. Um, so backerkit helped you a lot um, with maximizing like revenue from your backers, but how did you use Facebook advertising to tap into the crowdfunding audience? Um, we just created audiences that we thought would be relevant. One of our favorite audiences is uh, a Snapchat audience, which is a huge sharing audience and speaks to kind of the Kickstarter audience of early adopters or people who are a little more hip on the latest thing or we're willing to try something new. And so we just experimented. We tried different audiences and we pay really close attention to the data and we see what works and we do more of that. And if things aren't working, then, you know, we shift funds over to something that is. Yeah, definitely. And um, did you do a lot of this advertising or like Facebook ads before your campaign launched or did you leave the crowdfunding audience until when you launched? We left it until we launched because we didn't want to start a bunch of hype and then not allow people to instantly go and participate in the Kickstarter. So we kind of did one big launch the day of and, and then just tried to keep the momentum going after that. And you did all your Facebook ads in-house? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's fascinating because like one of the things about me talking to different creators is everyone has, um, like it's amazing that you guys had an amazing launch without um, doing a big Facebook ad blitz beforehand where when you, like I've spoken to some other campaigns where they would spend two to three weeks building up an audience of about 5,000 switched on people for an email list and then they would convert those through email marketing on day of launch. So it's really cool um, to see the differences. But like, I guess the thing with you guys is you had already um, established who your audience was and you had a very good understanding of who to target already, as opposed to it being like, you know, having to test a bunch of stuff with a brand new brand. Yep, exactly. We weren't starting from scratch with 
the second Kickstarter. We did have an email list and we did do a little bit of promotion before the Kickstarter actually launched on there. But really, we um, had an idea of where to start and we started all of it on the same day. And then we continued to experiment and grow our audiences as the Kickstarter was going. I love it. Um, Now, during the second campaign, did you do anything like stretch goals for to keep momentum going or did you just let sales go in we did um we were working on another product our sheets and our sheets are really cool they're super soft they're made with a bamboo based fabric and they're stretchy they're made with spandex and what a lot of people don't understand is you need to have stretchy sheets because otherwise you create a drum effect over your mattress or your pillow and it makes it hard and uncomfortable. So if you have something stretchy, it'll allow you to sink into your mattress or your pillow. And with the pillow being so different, we wanted to show off our sheets and we wanted to educate people on the difference that having a soft, stretchy fabric can make on your bed products. And so we decided if we hit, I think it was 2 million, then everyone will get a pillowcase. And uh, it, people were really excited about it. That was another thing that people were asking for in the comments already. And so uh, it was a really easy thing for us to commit to doing because we wanted to do it. And then, you know, we would figure out the logistics of it later. Did you wait to announce your stretch goals until after you launched? Yes. We launched our stretch goals about halfway through our campaign. We didn't hit our second stretch goal, which was a, uh, we were thinking of doing a wrist pad, like for your mouse at your desk that uses our purple material. And that was for 3 million. We were close, but not quite. So maybe in the future, next Kickstarter. I was just going to say that because <laughs> I'm sure you guys will be a brand that just keep using Kickstarter to launch products. Maybe we certainly are you know, not going to say never again. When we said we were going to do a second Kickstarter, a lot of people told us that we were crazy. There were a lot of naysayers saying that we shouldn't do a second Kickstarter. It didn't make any sense. People wouldn't back us and we proved them very wrong. So. I think Kickstarter is a really great platform. Yeah, I'm I'm curious cuz I have like a few friends that this is what they do. They launch a successful Kickstarter and then they just keep launching products and each Kickstarter has been bigger than the last one and this is how they run their business. And um I I just have never heard anything negative about once you've had a successful Kickstarter and if you have a comparable product relaunching because you have an audience that just keeps growing and growing. You have the credibility from fulfillment. You have testimonials. Um, you have a stronger case than a lot of the other first-time brands that go on Kickstarter. So I don't see why, what's the negative in doing a, a Kickstarter campaign for a yeah, second time, right? That's really cool. Um, a lot of it was, you know, people, are they going to be willing to back us on Kickstarter if they think that our brand is already successful. 
And if it seems pandering or if it seems, you know, dishonest. And that certainly wasn't the case for us. But I think that there's a huge shift that's happening in crowdfunding where it isn't necessarily people taking a risk on a creative product um, just for like a one-off sort of thing. It's becoming a way for people to invest in companies and invest in brands that they believe in. And that creates more of that um, attitude of continuing to support multiple Kickstarters from the same company. Yeah, I agree. Cause, um, I actually, I don't know. I feel that the way crowdfunding is going right now is uh, with more campaigns, um, that are inexperienced with fulfillment, they're going to either not deliver on time or severely under budget. What, how much they think they needed to raise to deliver this. So there are going to be a lot more problems with crowdfunding campaigns. And I find that backers are very switched on to that and are going to be very smart with who they back. And they are going to be more likely to back companies like yours that has a track record already. Yeah. Is what I think. I think so too. I think so too. I think that that is the way that it's going because people have been burned several times on those crowdfunding campaigns that haven't followed through. But I think it's, I don't know. I don't think that Kickstarter should necessarily be used as just a like merchandising platform, as just a way to sell product. For us, it's a way to educate people about our products and to reach people who are willing to take a chance on something new and different. So it's, it's cool in that way. And I think it should be used in that way. I hope that it doesn't just become an e-commerce platform. Oh, I agree. Because what is different from uh, listing something on Amazon versus Kickstarter is Kickstarter, you have a community and you get real-time communication and feedback with, with people and you're building a brand and a fan base around it. Exactly. So, Absolutely. Yeah. This has been great. I have uh, one more question. And it's that if you had to go back and do this all over again with the Purple brand and your launches would there be anything you would do differently and what, why would you do it differently? I mean, hindsight is always 2020. I think if we knew that we had to get 26,000 pillows out, we would have prepared a little bit better on our production end. And so that's something that we're working on every single day right now is getting production ramping up, and make sure, making sure that our quality is where we want it to be. And so I think that you just always have to be prepared for, you know, the best case scenario, which is a $2.6 million campaign, and be prepared to fulfill on all of those orders when you promise you're going to. Yeah, I love it. Great. Okay. Well, for people, if they want to find out more information, um, is onpurple.com the best place for them to go? That's the place to go. Amazing. All right. Well, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for your time. And Thank we you will so end much. here. Thanks for having me on. Man, wasn't she lovely? I should get more females on the show because um, I find that it's like 95% dudes. Nothing against it, guys. It's just we need more female founders doing amazing things. Um, so anyways, guys, if you dug that episode, um, I know it was one 
of my favorites that was super action-packed, you should go to iTunes and leave an honest review for the show because this information needs to get in front of more people. The reason I do this show is to educate potential creators or people who want to launch products online to give them the information they need so that they don't screw it up and that you actually have a great shot at getting funded and creating something amazing online so that you can finally quit your job or just doing something you're super passionate about. And so you could do that by helping someone else by going to iTunes. There is a link in the show notes. Um, and just leave an honest review for the show. It does help get the show filmed by other people such as yourself. Um, and apart from that, guys, if you are in the process of planning your crowdfunding campaign, you should go to crowdfundinguncut.com pick up the product launch checklist. It's the uh, main freebie that's on the site. It's the checklist that I have created, outlines a system, uh, like a step-by-step guide to show you what you need to do to launch a crowdfunding campaign successfully. And there's a six-month timeline for that. So you can't go wrong. Crowdfundinguncut.com. Pick up the checklist. And uh, until next time. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.